Hello, and welcome back to the 42 Courses podcast. For this week's edition, we sat down with Gerald Ashley to discuss the fascinating topics of risk, uncertainty, and decision-making. Gerald is an advisor, writer, speaker, and occasional broadcaster who, prior to concentrating on decision-making analysis, had a 25-year career in finance, working for Bering Brothers in London and Hong Kong and the Bank for International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland. Gerald is Managing Director of St. Morgan & Co., a consultancy specialising in risk management, strategy consulting and behavioural finance modelling. He is also a Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts and a Visiting Fellow at Newcastle Business School. For more info on his work, books and excellent blog, check out his website, geraldashley.com. We really hope you enjoy the discussion. Welcome, Gerald. Um, it's a real, real pleasure to have you on the podcast to chat about these uh, fascinating topics of risk, uncertainty, and decision making. And I think I'd sort of like to begin by a quote um, of yours, which I think does such a lovely job of, of defining what risk is. And I think you said that risk is what remains after we think we've thought of everything. Um, and I was wondering if you could sort of just unpack that a little for our, for our listeners. Jake, thank you. Um, yeah, it is a, a, a rather nice little quote. Um, I suspect um, it's not an original by me. Um, lots of people have been trying to think about risk for a very long time. Um, it, is, it is clever or insightful, I think, because um, it gets to the core issue, which is about asking questions. I mean, we live in a world where everybody wants the answer or we want the solution or the give it to me now, I must have it, which is a form of certainty. Um, And in fact, when you look at the world around you or a particular problem or a particular issue, Mm -hmm. um, it's really how you question that and how you look at the context it's in as well. Um, We have a real problem, I think, of grasping the first um, plausible answer. Mm -hmm. There's an answer that looks like it might be right, we have a tendency to stop. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot to be gained from keep questioning. Mm-hmm. And that, and I guess that's because, you know, and you touched on it very briefly, you know, we're obsessed with, with this idea of certainty. And so if we, if we think we've got an obvious answer to something, we'll, we'll accept it. Um, and I guess with risk as well, because, you know, we're all so interested in it, there's, there's perhaps no surprise that a sort of lucrative industry of, kind of risk management and risk management gurus has kind of grown up around trying to make sense of and or you know an attempt to control risk in inverted commas and sure could could you explain to us a little bit about you know what risk management is and i think also perhaps you know explain why it's often sort of uh, misinterpreted as as risk measurement versus versus risk management Yeah, sure. In fact, I'm going to just slightly wind back and touch a little bit more on risk and think of it in terms of the availability of information. Mm -hmm. Now, we live in an age of big data and crunching loads and loads of essentially yesterday's information. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the the advantages of, of big data is that we've got it and we can gather it and collate it and aggregate it and chop and change and all the rest of it. One of the downsides is that it assumes that everything in the future 
will be the same as everything was in the past. Now, if you can imagine a world where something is 100% certain, um, there's no such thing really, um, but where you've got a huge amount of back information um, that would suggest there is a cycle, something like sunrises and sunsets. Mm -hmm. So um, I can look up a table or nowadays in the net and I can see what the sunrise is going to be on the, I don't know, the 10th of January, 2085. Mm -hmm. It's kind of setting concrete. Mm -hmm. Now, you would say that's fairly risk free because it's, there's a high degree of certainty and a high degree of um, cyclicality mm -hmm. uh, based on the fact that there's no change. Now, if there's a change, I don't know, the moon explodes or we get too close to the sun or something, <laughs> or more likely we blow ourselves up with a nuclear bomb, um, there's a dramatic change that would change that cycle. Yep. Right down the other end of, of the scale of things is where we've got no information at all. Mm -hmm. So in fact, you and I are talking now and there's an asteroid um, hurtling towards us. It's going to hit us before the end of this interview, so nobody <laughs> will ever hear it. Now, that's Donald Rumsfeld and... Uh, unknown unknowns. Mm -hmm. Now, somewhere between the 100% of rock solid certain, mm -hmm. and you haven't got a clue, uh, not because we're stupid, but, but there's no information, there is risk. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, at what point do you have to admit there's not enough past data to be able to predict the future? So mm -hmm. it's on a kind of sliding scale. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what the whole slippery topic of risk is about mm -hmm. what risk management um, uh, purports to do and i'm um, i'm a little skeptical of a lot of risk management mm -hmm. is to say okay we've got all this back data we can put it through various models uh, algorithms all the rest of it and we can confidently predict the future or less confidently predict the future by putting a spread of possible scenarios maybe a distribution curve around it Mm -hmm. Now, when we get less and less information, it becomes harder and harder to run that sort of risk management regime. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, not only does it become harder, it may become inappropriate and actually very uh, misleading. Mm -hmm. So um, when, I, when I'm feeling in a bitchy mood, I sometimes accuse risk managers of being risk measurers. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to end up just measuring past data and think you're managing the future. So mm -hmm. I think that's where, that's where the real issue is. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And there's that lovely quote, isn't there? I think it's Scott Sagan who said, you know, things that have never happened before happen all the time. Um, oh, I like that. I like that. And it's, it's such a wonderful quote. And, you know, we've, we've had an experience of that this year with, with the whole COVID 19 situation in the sense that you know very few people well nobody i imagine had in their plans or their business plans or their risk management scenario or whatever you want to call it planning for this year to, to to have an event like this happen and yet you know if you'd been crunching all the data and all the numbers from last year you might have made a projection for, for this year's sales figures that's complete completely worthless so it kind of it kind of feeds into this thought that uh, one end we've got this certainty 100 percent certainty yeah and down the other end we've got uncertainty and i think it's worth talking a little bit more about uncertainty mm -hmm. um, the first thing to say is people hate it yep um, uh, equally it sells if you want to if you want to um 
generate a little bit of fear in people as a consultant. Mm. You say, well, we're living in an uncertain world. Yeah. Um, and here's a solution that I can sell to you. Um, somewhat cynically, I sometimes note that a large number of companies actually have the word solution yes. in the company business title. Yes. Um, you know, it implies that we can sort the problem out. So uncertainty is, un is unliked, unwanted, and somehow needs to be sorted out. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that is a problem. If you take that attitude, well, we've just got to find a model that can can sort this out. Mm -hmm. You're you're barking up the wrong tree. The way we have to deal with uncertainty is actually what we end up doing in a funny sort of way is you have to accept it and you have to work your way around it. And the only way you can work your way around it is by gaining more information. Mm -hmm. Effectively, you, um, you turn uncertainties with low information into mm -hmm. measurable risks. Mm -hmm. You could say that's what's going on with the pandemic. I mean, it's very, it's, it's, it's very interesting to see that I think a number of commentators have noted that may, maybe the approach to medical treatment of, of new patients with COVID mm -hmm. is somewhat different from March and April. Yes. Because there's been a learning process through the summer where we've, real, we've realized some things work a lot better than other. Yes. All we're doing there is gaining more valid mm -hmm. back information Mm -hmm. that is sensible to try and look forward into the future. Mm -hmm. But we mustn't forget the, um, the rather dystopian um, quote. We're doing a lot of quotes this morning. A dystopian That's... quote, uh, the Japanese proverb, that one inch forward lies darkness. We simply, we simply cannot know yes. much about the future other than those very cyclical things like sunrise, sunset. Tides, tides. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, lo I love that. I, I heard another, again, to keep on the, the quote theme, as I love, love, love a good quote. Um, I, I was reading a good book the other day, I think it's called The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. Um, yeah. and, and in it, it says that I think, um, you know, the most important part of every plan is planning on your plan, not going according to plan. Um, yeah, that's that that's a nice bit of alliteration as well. Yes. Yeah, there's the there's the Eisenhower one, which is often used quite a lot, but I, I think think again is valid, which is that plans are useless, but that um planning is absolutely vital. Yes. Now that that when you think about that, it's the same as Morgan Housel's thought, is it's a dynamic way of thinking mm -hmm. rather than a static way of thinking. Absolutely. A static way of thinking is say Right, this is the world as it is. We've worked it all out with our models and algorithms. We've put a grid around it. With that grid, we can now um, confidently plan for the future with the grand plan. Mm -hmm. Whereas the reality is everything's on the move. Yep. Uh, things screw up. Surprises happen. Shocks happen. Yep. Pandemics happen. So you have to keep adjusting your your plan. So a, pl a plan, I think, is a very bad idea. Mm. A form of planning process that is really about trying to gather new information and make sense of it mm -hmm. must be the way forward, I think. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And I, coming back a bit to sort of uncertainty, you know, I guess there's, there's a sort of a clear evolutionary underpinning for why we, we fear uncertainty in the sense that, you know, we need to know where our next meal is coming from and, and things like that. And so, as you say, 
companies, I think they play both sides of the coin, actually. They sort of market both as, you know, driving fear, but also solutions to, to fear. Um, and, and you might say it's marketing is, is, is the fear element and selling is here's the solution you need, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, you know, it sounds cynical, but I think it's, I think it is quite true a lot of the time. Um, so I, I, I would say, I would say to people that when, when you hear about risk management, think about what the process is. Is it just looking through the rear view mirror mm-hmm. or are you actually trying to make an attempt to try and see into that darkness that is one inch forward mm-hmm. and how do you edge your way forward and it seems to me the only uh, logical way to go about that is to question everything and question uh, not what may happen or may not happen but mm-hmm. even the approach you're taking to it you know mm-hmm. we all know problems around things like group think and all the rest of it mm-hmm. and I think anything where you can you can stay open-minded mm-hmm. and and also try to stand back so you see the overall context mm-hmm. of the issue and i mean that's not easy and from a company's point of view uh, it's expensive mm-hmm. because you know you're, you're you're going to employ guys who are sitting in a room sort of trying to uh, feel your way forward and mm. you know that that's an expense of business but i think it's probably a necessary expense yeah no no i agree i, I mean i think I read something the other day, the sort of, you know, the two, there are two ways to best, you, you can best manage or you can manage uncertainty. I think the first one is the point you were touching on, which is, you know, by decreasing the amount of perceived risk, i.e. getting more information. Um, and then the sort of second one, by increasing your tolerance for risk and uncertainty in the sense that a form of resilience, I suppose, sort of expecting things will, will change because the world is dynamic and therefore having some sort of you know resilience or tolerance or uh, margin for error if whatever you want to call it in place so that you can adapt to exactly i mean i think if you like it's how close do you want to walk to the cliff face i love that at what point do you get nervous is it you know 20 feet six feet six inches and also again that's not a bad analogy or a little sort of mental picture because you are assuming that the cliff face is rock solid, um, excuse the pun, and it, 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 you know, some of it may crumble away under your feet when you're not expecting it. Yeah. So this is why you, gosh, it's a really old phrase, isn't it? We need a margin for error. Yes. And I think one of the problems with models and algorithms is they assume uh, that they're very efficient at predicting things based on the past, mm-hmm. but you have to build in a sort of uh, gotcha factor. Yeah. There needs to be some factor uh, of randomness. Mm-hmm. You, you know, any system that is 100% efficiency and we efficient, and we see this in um, uh, in in all in all sorts of walks of life, mm-hmm. ultimately will fail. Yes. 100% efficiency is not yep. the way forward. It's like you don't build a bridge which is completely stiff. Yes. The bridge is flex. Yeah. And so it's the same thing. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, yeah, the world of engineering does build in those margins for safety. As you say, bridges, aircraft, they have, you know, multiple redundancy. But then when it comes to businesses, we often try and reach the the sort of 100% efficiency. But in doing so, set ourselves up for massive blow-ups because there's no redundancy built into the system. Also, in very general terms, in evolutionary theory, um, if you have a totally 
efficient system, it will die. We, um, depending on one's philosophical and religious views of life, um, but uh, ultimately we are a form of mistake yes. because of <laughs> mutations. The yeah. copy, you know, um, we are all copying errors. Yeah. Um, some people don't like to think in those terms, but it, uh, funnily, funnily enough, that is the magic of evolution. It's the fact that it just blindly charges forward in all sorts of ways, mm -hmm. um, and will, uh, but has mistakes in the system mm -hmm. that allow us to do the right thing less wrong each time we do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it has its own own redundancy built in. Yes, uh, I think it's it's fascinating, and then. I guess what's related to both more obviously connected to both, you know, risk and uncertainty is, is decision-making, um, you know, and, and how those two factors obviously play an enormous, enormous part. And I just wanted to ask you, I suppose, you know, the key question of why and, and, and how do we make poor decisions? And I suppose then a follow up to that is, you know, are there ways we can, can learn to make better decisions? Yeah, I, of course, we all make gazillions of decisions every day. A lot of them are by route, aren't they? You know, you sort of get up in the morning, have breakfast or whatever, and maybe there's a, a large amount of routine um, in our decision making. Then there's a sm small number of genuine decisions, um, some of which, um, you know, could literally be life changing. Um, I think, again, we come back to this pool of information. I mean, there's nothing more dangerous than plunging into uh, um, some situation where you have no knowledge of it. You either, at the, the very least, you might just waste your time, you might lose money, or you might lose your life. Mm. Um, so that information element is very important. I think the other thing that happens is, as we touched on at the start, there is a, an overwhelming desire to find the correct answer. Yes, And so the correct answer is a very, very um, uh, elusive, but some sort of holy grail that we're always chasing. Um, it, 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 and it, it's dangerous to do that because it's a little bit like if you lose your car keys. Once you find them, you stop, the, you know, stop doing it, obviously. Now, with, with decision-making, once you've settled on the answer, there's a tendency to stop. Yes. So I think poor decisions happen, lack of knowledge, yep. I think lack of context is very important. Mm -hmm. um, group, groups are difficult. Um, you know, some people say it's the wisdom of crowds. Some people say, well, there's lunacy in crowds. Then, of course, there's group think. Yep. Um, in general, um, I think you have, to, you have to try and be a devil's advocate mm -hmm. in um, in a group, which is, of course, exactly what the uh, the medieval um, Roman Catholic Church actually did. They'd have somebody say, well, we want to question all this liturgy and all the rest of it, mm -hmm. um, as a way of questioning all the time. Mm -hmm. um, why do we make poor decisions? Because we get an answer. Yep. Maybe it's just to feel good ourselves. Maybe it's to impress somebody else or the boss or to meet a deadline. Mm -hmm. um, this, this little voice in the back of our head that says, oh, Lord, we must find the answer. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it may be that there isn't an answer. Mm -hmm. And this is very uncomfortable because um, it comes back to this dynamism of systems. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of systems are, 
are maybe inherently unpredictable. Mm -hmm. um, the idea of complex systems, um, complexity science, mm -hmm. suggests that we're involved in lots of networks that mm -hmm. do not follow a nice linear pattern. Yep. Uh, you know, they're not like a card game, or they're not like a chess game, um, or any of these things that have got nice bounded rules. Yep. A lot of life is at the edge, almost naturally, is unbounded. Yes. And that's what we don't like. Yep. yep. No, no, I mean, I, I mean, I completely agree there. And there's, uh, I think it's Nassim Taleb and the ludic, the ludic fallacy. I think he talks about how, you know, we like to think things are, are bounded games and, and actually the world is, is very dynamic and therefore... We spend a, yeah, we spend a lot of time trying to turn them into bounded games. You yes. might say that is, that may be the function of regulation. That, you know, you start with a new market where there is absolutely, you know, it is literally the Wild West. Yep. And eventually, uh, particularly in finance and, well, and, and true in anything like medicine or uh, anything where life is at stake, mm. uh, health and safety of some form, a set of rules uh, come into play. Mm -hmm. And that may be part of the process of trying to turn an uncertainty into a knowable risk. Mm -hmm. The problem with it is what you mentioned earlier, that is what happens if the new thing that happens isn't on your jolly nice regulated list. Mm -hmm. you've, got, you've got your 200 uh, factors that may affect the business or the decision, and mm -hmm. then out pops something called COVID-19. Yes. And yeah. so, again, I think it's it's very important not to fall into the certainty trap. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Even even though deep down it's something we all long for, it's, it's something we have to be very careful about falling for. <laughs> also, we, we ourselves are a problem because... Um, of uh, self-confidence. I mean, I know I'm I'm a much better decision maker than you. I mean, yes. I'm a, it's self-evident. I mean, there's that lovely lovely um, research being done on asking people um, how good they are as drivers. Yeah, I love that. And a very large majority of people say they're excellent drivers. Yeah, well, above well, average. Yeah. Yeah, well, above average. Well, we can't all be. Yeah. Although, again, in my case, I happen to be an excellent driver. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm far better than you are. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that that study. That was brilliant and and very, very true. Um, and difficult to overcome because imagine a business situation where you've got a, uh, um, a very strong personality is running the business and you sit down the other end of the table on the committee. Mm. The chances are when he sticks his hand up, you will join him. It's very difficult to challenge. It is, yeah. No, I, I agree with you, and I mean, I think that happens all the time in businesses, doesn't it? If the, yes. it's it's very difficult to challenge a, a decision that's made by someone, you know, either either powerful or certainly in a position of authority to you. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then, um, yeah, what I'd love to ask you to sort of to, to bring bring our discussion to a close is uh, is book recommendations because it's always great to to get some inspiration, and I think particularly on these you know, really interesting topics of risk and decision-making and uncertainty. And yeah, I guess I just wanted to ask you if there are people wanting to find out more about these areas, you know, what, what are the kind of go-to books that you yes. might get, get a bit more on, on the topic? I guess I'm going to reveal a bit of a preference because I, my background, I tend to think of financial risk. 
Yes. But don't worry, there are no uh, no horrible uh, mathematical equations in this book. But I would I would recommend a book called Against the Gods by Peter Bernstein, and he basically has uh, written a book or wrote a book that um, is about the history of how we've tried to tackle risk. And so it's it's quite a it's quite an easy read. Um, it's got some great insights. And it all shows, shows, uh, shows how we can um, learn from others' mistakes. Mm -hmm. And also how we go back quite a long way and people were really quite sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So there were quite sophisticated measures of risk as far back as um, medieval Italy, uh, mm -hmm. where there were insurance systems. Um, you could insure, as a merchant, you could insure your ship and all the rest of it. Yeah. So I think it's a good read and B, it's very insightful. So. Um, yes, Peter Bernstein's Against the Gods. Um, in terms of forecasting or how we can make better decisions, yep. um, I th gosh, I, f I find it really difficult here because I think there are a lot of not very good books, but I think one does stand out, which is Super Forecasting by uh, Philip Tetlock. Tetlock, yeah. Yeah, and I would, I would encourage people to read Tetlock in general in terms of his blog and Twitter feed and all the rest of it. Um, uh, he's got some. He's got some very good thinking about how we should approach the process of making a decision, and that some of us are innately not set up to do it very well. Um, you can train yourself to be better, but it um, would appear that um, I wouldn't say you are born with it, but some people seem to be. Uh, somewhat better. It mm. may be um, because they they appreciate uncertainty. Uh, he he makes the point in this book is the people you must be most wary of mm. are the people who are most certain and voluble that their decision is right. Mm. Okay. The more right you are, mm. the more wrong you're likely to be, or mm. the more right you think you are. I mean, the more um, trouble you're in. So yes, yeah, Super Forecasting by Philip Tetlock. And then a couple of books just to sort of chuck around. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Nassim Talib. Yeah. Um, I do like his book, Anti-Fragile. Yeah, which fantastic. Is and, and just sort of building in the error of margin in, into the way you approach things. Mm. Um, the more you read of that book, the more you say, well, yeah, this is all very obvious, really, when you think about it. But... Um, very few people do it. Yeah. And of course, the important thing is it's expensive yes. to have resilience, to have backup costs money. And then I would finish with, um, again, what I think is quite a good book, with uh, Nate Silver, uh, The Signal and the Noise. Oh, yes. Now, I've, I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. Yeah. Oh. And then I've, I've just thought of another one, so we should go on forever. But bonus, one bonus book. One last one is a, is a guy called Paul Ormerod, and he's um, a behavioral economist. He's been around for a very long time, very on the ball. He's got a, a wonderfully titled book called Why Most Things Fail. And it's about the idea that there may be a natural cycle in, in, in how organizations and businesses get pulled and then get reshaped and, and ultimately die. But it's got some really interesting insights, so I would recommend that one as well. Well, thank you so much. There's four great, great books. I think two, two or three of them I've read, but there's, there's definitely 
some for me to pick up after this. So that's great. And um, yeah, it just remains to say thank you so much, Gerald, for, for joining us today and sharing your, your wisdom. Thank you, Jay. Enjoy it. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of the 42 Courses podcast. We'll be back soon with more interviews with some of the world's greatest minds. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at 42 Courses or check out our website, 42courses.com, for information on all the courses we offer. Have a great week.